The Way Out Podcast, episode 27. And then once I got to be about 13, I decided to go to a public junior high and met different sorts of people who I loved because they were crazy and did um, rebellious things. And I loved that life. And I think that was my first taste of what I knew I wanted in life. And it wasn't going to be boring. I think it was very pivotal in my life when I was young, like ages four to seven, my mom put me in, in pageants and I was constantly competing um, with dancing and gymnastics and modeling and all these things when I was little and I loved it. I mean, I never remember bitching about, can I swear on you this? You can. You okay, can, good. Yeah, like a sailor. Because I have a terrible mouth. Like a sailor. Okay, awesome. Um, and But I do think it put a, an something in my head as far as what I always needed to per- portray um, and and compete with people. There was some sexual abuse in my um, when I was eight and then I, I was raped when I was 16. Once I started using um, drugs and alcohol in my veins, it was it was just a whole the, the world completely flipped upside down for me and I that's all I cared about was getting high I didn't care about my children I didn't care about my family I didn't care about my job I didn't care about my worst I could give a fuck what happened to me at that point I mean I was doing things my behavior was so despicable it was so fucking disgusting that I needed to use more because of the shame I had of what I was doing when I was using welcome Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow the Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform the way out podcast is on now i'm your host charlie l this week we'll hear the experience strength and hope of tracy who has recovered from the depths of addiction and alcoholism through working the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous Tracy, welcome to the Way Out Podcast. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you're here. You've actually traveled to the Way Out Podcast studios, and um, uh, I don't want you to make the audience super jealous, <laughs> but, but this is pretty lavish. I mean, these it studios, is. Yeah. I feel definitely like celebrity material here. Indeed. Mm-hmm. In fact, you had a writer that I had to accommodate. <laughs> yep, which, Anna Agent. Right, yeah, right. Which okay. was, I, I got to be honest, it was a little, um, it was a little over the top, but <laughs> but I was willing to do it oh, that's in fun. order to be able to share your story. Uh, so why don't you uh, tell the Way Out podcast audience, we have uh, the uh, podcast studio dog who's right now uh, making Jumping on me. exactly making mm-hmm. things a little difficult okay. so tell the audience a little bit about yourself and start maybe a little bit about uh, family of origin and uh, uh, so we can get to know you a little bit better and um, we'll go from there okay well thanks for having me this is very odd but I am definitely comfortable <laughs> doing stuff like this so um, I, I hope that I can help others just by telling my story. Um, My name is Tracy, and I am 39 years old. I'm a 
raging alcoholic and drug addict who has been recovered uh, from this illness. And well, you grateful. said recovered, and I love that. You used the past tense, so we're going to go come back to that. Okay. okay. But I love that. Yes. I grew up in New Brighton, Minnesota, and I went to school, uh, private Catholic schools my whole life. I was an only child till I was nine, and then my brother was born. I was um, adopted by my dad when I was three. Uh, my biological dad decided to give up his rights to me when I was little, um, which I do have a relationship with him today, and it's beautiful. Um, but my mom and my dad that adopted me, uh, I lived in a beautiful home. I Everything was great from the outside. Um, I attended really great schools. I had a great family. My parents are not um, alcoholics or drug addicts. Uh, my stepdad, I, I don't like to call him my stepdad, but he, my dad, he is in recovery. He's been recovered for over 40 years. I've never seen him drink alcohol. Wow. Um, my grandparents um, are both, you know, they are alcoholics and addicts, but at that time was never, you know, it wasn't diagnosed really. But anyway, I had a great family. My brother Jimmy was born when I was nine, and the dynamic started to change a little bit. Um, it wasn't all about Tracy anymore, and um, I, but I was happy. I wanted a little brother or sister, and he was a miracle baby. My mom had many miscarriages, and it was a really tough time for her, and um and then once I got to be about 13, I decided to go to a public junior high and met different sorts of people who I loved because they were crazy and did um, rebellious things. And I loved that life. And I think that was my first taste of what I knew I wanted in life. And it wasn't going to be boring. That's for sure. So you lived this life up until junior high that was relatively sheltered. Very. You know? Mm -hmm. And you get into junior high and you're exposed to a whole new world of, uh, of things that you never really had exposure to before. Yes. How does that play out? You know, I think it was, it was huge. I think it was meant to happen because I firmly believe that that's who I am inside, you know. I do think I'm an adrenaline junkie and like to take risks. And um, But it did expose me to things that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to if I continued to be around the people I was at the private school I was at. But um, quickly, and I, I never really mentioned this before, but I think it was very pivotal in my life when I was young, like ages four to seven, my mom put me in, in pageants. And I was constantly competing um, with dancing and gymnastics and modeling and all these things when I was little. And I loved it. I mean, I never remember bitching about, can I swear on you this? Can. You okay, can. Good. Yeah, like a sailor. Because I have a terrible mouth. Like a sailor. Okay, awesome. Um, and, but I do think it put a, a, something in my head as far as what I always needed to per portray. Um, and... And compete with people. I think that was huge for me. I mean, full face of makeup, constantly in dresses, going to parades, and you know all these different things that putting on this this front. front. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we do really well in active addiction and alcoholism. Very well. Very well. Which I also think we can do in recovery, but that's we, a whole different story. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> and and do <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, but so then I started getting into trouble in junior high and sneaking out of my house and uh, getting arrested for um, for stealing and you know just little stuff like that. I was you know I was taking my neighbor's vehicles um, at fourteen years old and you know driving around all night and you know just stuff like that. I think most of us. But you're getting a rush. You were getting yeah. that like you had alluded to that adrenaline rush. Very much. It was awesome. And I didn't get caught very much. And the more that I didn't get caught, the more I wanted to do it. And when I did get caught, I got yelled at, you know, but I didn't really, you know, it wasn't significant punishment, if if you will. Mm -hmm. But then um, my parents were concerned about those people I was hanging out with and put me back in a private Catholic school. I went to Totino Grace. Um, and I managed to find those people in Totino as well. So I don't think it matters, you know, what school you go to. I just wanted to hang out with people that 
wanted to do the thing that you weren't supposed to do. But I always, um, you know, even from young age, I managed to succeed to the point of being a perfectionist as far as having a title. Like, I got on the dance line, and I didn't want to continue on the dance line unless I was the choreographer or the captain. I didn't feel... I guess I didn't. It, I didn't. If I didn't have that status per se, I didn't feel didn't like feel I was, that was doing. Worthwhile. Yeah, sure. I didn't feel it was yeah. worthwhile. Right, right. And I can identify with that in terms of needing to be the best, or it's not worth doing. Right. Like I don't. I can't just be a part of. Exactly. You know, I have to be the best. Right. Or I have to be the worst. Or right. that those extremes. Right. We can't. I couldn't just fit in. Yes, totally. And I, you know, I, I still had my friends from um, the public high school and I had my friends at the private high school. And I was a straight A student. I did really well. Um, but at home, again, I, it wasn't good enough. If I got a B, I'd come home and I'd say I got a B and, you know, it wasn't right. I My home life at home, and I know this sounds really stupid because I know people have gone through way worse, really horrible families, but um, family stuff. But, you know, like... I wasn't allowed to sit on my bed spread. I wasn't allowed to touch the windows. I had to go on my hands and knees and pick up every piece of lint off my floor before I left my bedroom. You know, like our house was... Like a museum. Mo- yes. Mm-hmm. And we've, I've been to those houses and I, <laughs> I know those houses, right? And yeah. I remember going to friends' houses and their houses were like that and it felt like you were in a museum, like nobody lived here, maybe. Right. And what I didn't know at that time was that that was the way that my mother handled her life and her stress was everything needed to be in its place and perfect. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad owned his own business. He worked 16 hours a day. And she that was her passion, was a clean house. And um, she wanted everything to be perfect, you that, know. That was that was a piece that she could control right oh yeah and she was a control freak Mm -hmm. and I hated it Mm -hmm. her and I um and that was this this was really important um her and I started to fight a lot um when I was about 13 and it got worse and worse to physical fighting um you're rebelling yeah she's trying to control Control. and, and reel you in and the more she did that, the worse I got. Yes. And I ripped her heart out. You know, I I was sent to juvie a few times. And um, she... This daughter that I had in pageants and I had in, you know, yeah. um, recitals Straight and dance student, recitals yes. and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. This daughter that was going to be, you know, um, all these things that your mom maybe had in her, in her vision is now... In, a fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. In juvie. Yeah. Yes. And um, she, you know, I'd run away and I'd come back and she'd kick me out and I'd come back. And this happened, you know, 10 to 20 times. And, and finally, it got to the point where um, enough was enough for her. And I came home one day and all my stuff was at the end of the driveway. I was a it's the beginning of my senior year. I was 17. And I just hopped from friend's house to friend's house and lived out of my car, basically. And I, it was embarrassing, you know. Yeah. And the more that happened... Now, again, I was dabbling in drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. Um, you know, started with alcohol, then marijuana, and then cocaine, and then hallucinogens. And but you're partying, you're wanting yeah. to do it. It doesn't feel like no, it's a problem. No, and, not at all. I, I can relate to you so much, Tracy, because, you know, my mom died when I was 11. And at that point, I, you know, uh, we all have those pivotal moments. And that was my FU God moment that I didn't want any part of a God that would allow those things to happen. Oh but my, my family yes. turned upside down. Like my mom was everything to us, everything. She was the family engineer. She, our friends were because of my mom, our social environment, church, everything. Right. Wow. Um, That's awful. And I remember, I remember rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and so angry and, getting into drugs and getting into alcohol and the first time and I want to ask you about that the first time but the first time I drank I I had wondered where this was all my life like this is how I need to feel Mm -hmm. this 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 is it this 
this makes me feel like everything's okay. And it never feels like it's okay. Right. You know? Yes. And so that began my, uh, my lifelong up until uh, uh, finding recovery and, and, and recovering my love affair with drugs and alcohol. But um, my dad did the tough love thing, so he got remarried. And, you know, I was out all night, and I was, you know, burning biffies, and I was, you know, knocking down lampposts mm. and stealing out of cars and just being a complete fuck-up. Right. Um, and I'd get yelled at, but nothing really would happen. And this would, but nothing really would happen. And uh, my stepmom, and I resented her for so long, and I love her. She's, she's, a, she, I think she's an angel, like in real <laughs> life. I really do. I, mm-hmm. I, I think she's right next to Mother Teresa in terms of how patient she was. Sure. But they went to this tough love class. And tough love meant, like you set the rules, and if, Charlie, you, that's it. So you have to be home by 11. That's your curfew. And I don't care if it's 1101. If it's 1101, you're not getting in this house. Mm-hmm. You know? And of course, what do you do the first time? You test it. Of course. Yeah. And I tested it. <laughs> and I didn't get in. And, you know, it was a two weeks, two plus weeks on a lumpy chair with a friend who had seven brothers and sisters, you know, and if you've ever seen the show Shameless, it was like that. I have um, not seen okay, it, you need but... to watch it. It's amazing, but it was just, okay. uh, their, their, their family was a complete shit show, but, you know, that, that kind of, and so I could relate to that experience, sure. like, they had enough. Sorry, enough. we're not going to take this anymore. Right. So tell me about the first time you used, you drank, was it a memorable experience for you? Okay. I do remember the day I took my first snort of meth Mm -hmm. and I remember it to this day it was off of a key I was um it was the summer going into my senior year and I remember oh my god I remember what the temperature was outside I mean I remember everything about that so that's your drug of choice right it is my drug of choice yes I think we have that magical connection with our drug of choice Mm -hmm. I loved it and it was just this little key bump and I I remember I was going to dance line practice and I thought my heart was going to pop out of my chest and I, I could dance even longer. And, um, it was, it was awesome. So that led into what I decided to focus my attention on. I didn't really give a shit about drinking or, um, smoking pot Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. I wanted to get more of that stuff. Right. Right. That was the, that was the pursuit at that point. So your, uh, graduate, you graduated high school. I did not. I dropped out of high school, um, because I started using meth. It was crank at the time. Yeah. I remember crank. Yep. yep. Um, but I had enough. I was living house to house, Mm -hmm. friends, parents, um, didn't want me there. How old were you at this point? Okay. And I had this guy, can I mention names or no? Okay. So, um, this guy, his name's Jason Jones. He, He, uh, went to Tino Grace with me. He was years older than me. And, um, he lived out in Colorado at the time and he was, he invited me to come out to live with him in Breckenridge at that time. And I thought, well, fuck it. Yeah. I had nowhere to go. I hated school. I, I, you know, so I dropped out. I moved out to Colorado without telling anyone and was considered a missing person for a long time. And and my parents were really obviously upset. And, um, I ended up coming home under the conditions that I would go to Hazelden Youth uh, in Plymouth. and But they told me that they would buy me a vehicle if I came home. So that's how my parents showed love for me. It was buying me things. Mm. Um, it wasn't, I never had that connection of emotion with my parents. Um, everything was conditional based upon money. And so um, I, that was my first stint in treatment. I was 17. Um, and I was just getting started, you know. It was kind of a joke, actually. Yeah, and I could relate to that. I was uh, I was We're waxing talking. nostalgic about my treatment experience, and the podcast audience knows it pretty well at this point. But yeah, I mean, we're just finding this thing, right? right at that age, you mm-hmm. know. And I was sixteen, and that right, no way. No way. Are you kidding? Right. Are you kidding? I met some cool fuckers, though. You know, you know, I know, I know. If you I want know. to get more connections. Yes. <laughs> I, think the, I think the second that's we all that. graduated from there, we were, right. you know. We were around. doing the thing where you bend over and you breathe in and out really, 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 oh, really yeah. fast. And then you stand up and they do the throat thing. Yes. I mean, oh, I my think God. About that now, Tracy, I'm like, oh, my God. 
How stupid. We did that shit all the time. Right. So fucking weird. <laughs> it's just not okay. <laughs> oh, it's God, just not okay. Who does that? No, and I look, I have a 15-year-old. <laughs> if I ever caught that boy, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, amazing. I know. I know. So treatment, hazel yep. youth. Yep. And you're not ready at no, this point. No, not mean, at all. Not, not even close. So what happens? Well, I ended up, because I went to, to Tina Grace, I happened to be ahead of um, most people my age in credits. I don't know. This is kind of hazy to me, but I do remember graduating from, getting a diploma from Irondale going to an alternative school. And so I got done before everyone else. And I used to go ALC, right? Yeah. Yep. Asshole's Last Chance. Yes! Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, I went there, too. Met some cool fuckers yeah, there, there, too. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's where I was exposed to crank. In fact, oh, Asshole's see? Last Chance. Yeah, yep, Asshole's yep. Last Chance. Um... <laughs> And so from that point, I decided I, I wanted to do hair, and I've always wanted to do hair. And so I went to Aveda. I started literally um, a couple weeks after I graduated. And it was a good, that was a pretty good year. I went to school full-time. I worked full-time at Perkins. Um, but I was partying a lot. I was exposed to a lot of um, cocaine and ecstasy at that time, and uh, again, had a at that time, it was just fun, you mm-hmm. know. Didn't have consequences, really. I was still going to school. Yeah. And um, and so then I, I graduated. Um, you know, I don't know if this makes a difference, but there has been, like, you know, some... Well, of course it makes a difference, but there was some sexual abuse in my... Um, when I was eight, and then I, I was raped when I was 16. So there were, you know, a few... Some trauma. Huge, yeah, some trauma. Yeah. But I've worked through all that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I felt like I've... I don't use it today. I haven't even used it in the last, you know, five years as a reason why I used. No, like, I, I went through therapy. Right. I did shit like, you know. Right. But it was a part of my part of my it's story. part of your story, and I think for addicts and alcoholics... Uh, I don't think it's uh, by any means a requirement to be ha- be exposed to some sort of trauma or traumatic event. I can say for me that it was like throwing gasoline on a fire. Okay. You know, I had those switches. Those were going to get hit regardless right. for me. Yeah. You know, I was born an addict and an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. There's just no doubt about it. But the trauma that, you know, I experienced and like uh, you, I feel like, again, that gasoline to the fire, it didn't cause it but it certainly didn't help right yes and i think you know um, with that and just the the feelings of not being able to form friendships with girls Mm -hmm. i mean there were just so many things that i just wanted to i felt like a leader a lot of the times but i always felt like i was trying to fit in too Mm -hmm. you know i think it was this conflicting feelings of just and then with my mom you know ever since my mom and dad kicked me out from that point forward I never really um, formed a relationship with them after that like mm-hmm. it was come and go you mm-hmm. know I, I whatever but so I was always just searching for a relationship whether it was with a woman or a man you right. know right um, I, I felt really alone most of the time um, but then I met my son's father I have an 18 year old son Drew and um, he was the neighborhood um, marijuana dealer at the mm-hmm. time and everybody loved him and he was funny and he was good looking and he everybody wanted to be around him I mean he was magnetic he was a really cool guy and we got we hit it off really quickly and um, he moved in my apartment really quickly and I got pregnant really quickly mm-hmm. probably two months after we started dating and I was excited I had a couple girlfriends at the time that were pregnant too and we um it was fine, you know. I mean, I was young, I was 20, but it was it was okay. I had a good job. I had a cute little apartment. I had a boyfriend. And things were pretty going pretty Life well. Was good. Yeah. Um and then when Drew was born, right before Drew was born, Chad started getting into meth. Mm-hmm. And our relationship started to change and when my when Drew was born, um it changed significantly and um we were just kind of on different paths at that time I knew I wasn't I didn't want to be sober but I knew that I wanted to have a family per se kind of but I wanted a party still and it wasn't working out that way right you were torn really between two sort of 
lives at that Very point, much. right? There was a part of you, obviously, that wanted to, you know, be a, a family woman and, you know, raise a family and, you know, uh, some of those, you know, that wholesomeness, right? Yeah. And there was a part of you that didn't want to let go of, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and the Not partying, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and the release that that provided you. Very much. And, you know, Chad at the time was... Um, I was I was a really controlling person, and he had a lot of girls that liked him. And so there was a lot of cheating, a lot of fighting. My son, at a new as a newborn, experienced a lot of stuff, a lot of abuse. Um, and I decided that enough was enough. And that's when I started partying pretty hard. Started doing a lot of cocaine, um, a lot of meth, and started pawning him off at. at babysitter's house and family member's house mm-hmm. and um, Chad's mom and sister were very involved they were like my mom and sister because mm-hmm. I didn't really have one mm-hmm. and they they watched Drew a lot Drew's dad was not in the picture really he was in and out um, and I just continued to be selfish and do what I wanted to do and um, and so then, you know, throughout my 20s, I had a really, you know, I had a really great job. I was making really good money. I had nice things. Everything looked great from the outside, as we talked about earlier. Right. Um, yet I was getting heavier and heavier into meth and started staying up for days and days at a time and becoming depressed a little bit and meeting people that um, from all over the place that partied like I did. And... I started to compare myself. Like, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Ah, you know? Yeah. Well, as okay. long as we're hanging out with somebody that's a little bit worse than us. Right. And we're all right. Yep. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I get, it just kept getting worse. You know, the, the illness or the disease kept progressing um, to the point where I was about 26 and I started getting fired from jobs. Mm-hmm. And that never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. So these lines that we talk about, right, that mm-hmm. we think, well, it's not a problem because I've never been fired. It's not a problem because I've never been high at work or drunk at work. It's right. not a problem because, because, because. And right. we keep lowering these standards, mm-hmm. right? Yep. The uh, lines in the sand right. kept, uh, I kept making those lines in the sand and then crossing them. So I realized at about 26 or 7 that I had a problem. Uh, well, right before I moved to Forest Lake, I got my third DUI, um, and it was on my daughter's birthday, my daughter's first birthday, and I was sober for a year before that, mm-hmm. so I missed, I almost missed her birthday party, um, and that was a, that was a little eye-opener for me, because before I decided to drink, I said to myself, I know I'm a methamphetamine addict, but I'm not an alcoholic, so I can have wine, when I want to. Right. Which I got in a bunch. That's what happened. I started drinking wine and I got a fucking DUI, you know? Right, because that's what happens when you're an alcoholic. Right. I'm so miserable sober, but I would have rather been fucked up and miserable. For real. I mean, my problem is, is less with drugs and alcohol and more that I can't deal with life without them. Exactly. That's my problem. And that's what I would base my sobriety on is how am I going to live on a daily basis without drugs and alcohol? That's what I thought recovery was. I thought I was going to meetings to try and not use drugs and alcohol. And that's not what it's about. It's about um, a design for living. And it's about um, what we do um, that keeps us from using drugs and alcohol because drugs and alcohol are are a symptom right right you know we use drugs and alcohol um, because we're so selfish and manipulating and controlling and self-centered and you know all those awful words bingo and you know it's amazing so mike i get that get get this gift of desperation my third divorce and you know i i i swore up and down to myself that i would not drink on my son's birthday i end up getting absolutely hammered and loaded and 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 make a complete ass of myself and uh um uh wife says you gotta go you gotta go to treatment right like you didn't even tell me you had a problem with alcohol you had i had no but you've been drinking for two years straight you know and um i didn't want to surrender i didn't think i was going to surrender but I ended up crying like a baby in this treatment counselor's office. And she, and she says, well, what do you want to get out of this? And I said, I want to know why. Why am I like this? Why am I? And she said. Because you're an addict. Yeah. Say so you figured it out, Chuck. 
<laughs> so you figure because your mom died or because you have big addict and alcoholic switches and they were going to get bumped eventually anyway. Do you think with that knowledge you're going to be able to drink normally again? No. Use normally again? No. Good. Should we figure out how we get better? And I had been focusing on the wrong question the whole time. Uh, what was that like for you, that experience, that surrender point for you? When somebody told me, well, it's my sponsor, actually. My sponsor told me that surrender, all surrender meant was to change direction. That was easier for me to accept Mm because surrender meant weakness. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to surrender to anything. Mm -hmm. And so when I decided that, well, I could change direction. I could change the way I'm looking at things a little bit. And that's all it took for me, really. Um, was a change in mind, just a just a willingness to change your my mind. perception. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how that works for you today. So you cracked that door. You had that willingness, which is so important. Right. And if we don't have that willingness, then I think we're kind of sunk in this deal, right? And it's a it's a continual willingness, by the way, as I find out as, you know, just over two years and change in, it's a continual willingness. It, uh, my, my willingness from yesterday doesn't, doesn't get me anything today. Right, right. Right. So tell me how that started to work for you. What, what was different this time, Tracy? I mean, what, what previous attempts and, you know, this and that, and you had alluded that, you know, you hadn't worked the program. Well, you know, for those, for it, for those that are new, what does that mean? I didn't know what it meant at the time, but, you know, the last three years of my use um, involved in me, it was, I was shooting meth and heroin, um, and it got to the point where there wasn't five minutes that I went, that went by. Now, mind you, I've been, I got, was divorced. I got my children taken away from me. I was arrested for two felonies of possession. I was in a mental institution. I was in hospitals. I was in all these different... And the big book says jails and institutions and death. death. I mean, right. that's a real thing. That's yes. not... They're not just, you know, you know, going on about not nonsense. That's right. real life. Right. <clears throat> and I didn't... I never thought that that I that could... I could be that way. I, th- I thought I was invincible. I thought... Um, I, I really didn't think that that was going to be me. And... But... Once I started using um, drugs and alcohol in my veins, it was, it was just a whole, the, the world completely flipped upside down for me. And I, that's all I cared about was getting high. I didn't care about my children. I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about my job. I didn't care about my worst. I could give a fuck what happened to me at that point. I mean, I was doing things. My behavior was so despicable. It was so fucking disgusting that I needed to use more because of the shame I had of what I was doing when I was using. And so once all of these things started happening, as far as like, you know, not breathing and getting brought back to life and all of these horrible things and the worst possible thing that could have happened to me was my children being taken away and I still used, I knew that there was no way that I could live anymore. I didn't think it was possible for me to live life without drugs and alcohol because there wasn't a, a five minutes that would go by that, <clears throat> that I didn't think about getting high. And I just thought there's got to be how are these motherfuckers doing it? How are these people that walk around with a smile on their face and have successful lives that were fucking junkies, how are they doing it? We'll be right back with the second half of Tracy's story as we take a short break for this week's Recovery Revealed. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are not a process where we add things to our lives in order to abstain from our addiction. Rather, it is very much a process of eliminating or getting rid of the things within us that cause our addictions to activate. Step one is a surrender, as is step three. Steps four through seven allow us to identify those things which block us from the God of our understanding and then humbly ask for their removal. These blockages, or character defects if you will, once removed, allow us to truly connect to that vital spiritual power that not only removes the obsession to drink and use, but transforms us into the antithesis of what we were in our active addiction. 
like a sculptor who takes a jagged, dirt-encrusted slab of marble and transforms it to a breathtakingly beautiful sculpture through the removal of those things that were in the way of the inner beauty, we are very much allowing the God of our understanding to remove those things that stand in the way of being our true, beautiful, and authentic selves with the love, vulnerability, compassion, and humility that was there the whole time. The willingness and action to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is all it takes for this transformation journey to begin from the ugliness of fear, resentment, anger, self-centeredness, and self-pity to being the living examples of recovery. Now back to the second half of our interview with Tracy. And I tried multiple times to put so much drugs in my arms that I didn't wake up because I was too much of a pussy to put a gun to my head, you know? And I was just so exhausted. I was just so tired of not being able to die that I just thought, okay, what, what, let me just give it a shot. It's not going to work, but let me give it a shot. And I was, all I was willing to do after five treatments and halfway houses and sober living was literally just throw my hands up in the air and, um, and do whatever it took. Because honest to God, I sat there one day with my sponsor, with my sponsor that I have now. And I just said, I just don't, I want to go to sleep and I don't want to wake up. You know, and I tried multiple times to put so much drugs in my arms that I didn't wake up because I was too much of a pussy to put a gun to my head, you know, and I didn't, I I didn't want my children to have a mother that was a drug addict. I didn't want, um, yet I was fighting to get them back. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to stop. So why would I want the, why would I want my children to, why would I want to leave a legacy for my children that I was a junkie? I'd rather just fucking die. Uh And when I couldn't die, I knew that there was some reason why I was still here. And that's when I just, I asked, I, my home group is uh, the firing line at Roseville on, fr- on Sunday See, nights. if you can see her face right now, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> glowing, which is absolutely the way it should be when it comes to a home group. It absolutely should be that way. These people saved my life. They really did. Um, they literally showed up for me. They... Um, they, a couple people sat with me uh, and just said, here's the deal, with their finger in my face, pretty much, and said, if you don't do what we tell you to do, you're going to fucking die, and we're done. We're not going to fucking help you. And I was just so exhausted. I was just so tired of not being able to die that I just thought, okay, what, what, let me just give it a shot. It's not going to work, but let me give it right, a shot. Right, right, I'll. I'm willing to try anything, anything at this point. And that's that surrender and that willingness, right? And yeah. I, you know, I call it that gift of desperation, that gift that I got finally, finally gave me the true willingness to be able to work the program the way it's supposed to be worked and do whatever it took. Right. On a daily basis in order to be, to get better. And doing a series of things that really didn't make sense at the time, but ended up getting me well. So you're recovered. I'm recovered. And I can I can say that today. And there are some people that snub their fucking whatever that phrase is, yeah. um, snub their noses yeah. at me yeah. um, when I say yeah. that. But yeah. I live my recovery today um, by the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not saying that there are no other ways to get sober. Please. The big book itself the maintains book that. By right. the way, yes, and I even though I am passionate about um, recovery on the twelve steps of mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, that is how I recovered, um, and that is how I sponsor, and that is the only way I think that it is th- if you want to say you're recovered, um, because it is it's proven. It's proven. I see it on a daily basis. Um, it was written eighty some years ago. The I mean. Back then, the, the success rate of, of becoming sober and dying sober is, was 100%. Right. Today, right. it's 13%. Right. You know? And it's because I think ultimately uh, there's a big difference between the fellowship of the program and the 
the the program which is contained in the first 164 pages yes. of the big book right Amen. and so i didn't get sober with the fellowship i didn't get sober with a sponsor and you know what when they say meetings maker meeting makers make it i disagree i completely disagree i mean i completely right. agree with you right. yes disagree. thank yeah. you yeah no yeah and and the only thing that got me well the only thing was working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous right out of the big book with my sponsor and doing it to the best of my given ability. And I got better because I started to do things, action, that removed all the things. You know, I heard this, this the, the 12 steps uh, likened to a sculpture of marble that looks ugly and jagged and dirty and the sculptor makes this beautiful sculpture how did you do that well i just removed everything that wasn't beautiful i think the 12 steps are like that because i don't know that it's as much about gaining because i I don't think I've really gained anything. I've gained serenity. I've gained sobriety. I've gained I've gained a lot of things, but it was more about the things that I got rid of, yes. right? Yes. The fear and the anger and the resentment and all those things that we go through that we get rid of so that I have this power because I'm powerless, so I need this power. And if I get rid of these things that are blocking me to this power, then I have the ability to live sober and happy a day Which at a time. Key, right? And I can do that. Mm-hmm. It's no problem for me to be sober and happy. No problem. I can do that. I cannot be sober and miserable for any considerable amount of time. I'll just go back and use. I just will. Always. I just will do it every single time. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me it's a, it's a continual deal because I can get unhappy and then I can get restless and irritable and discontent and then I'll eventually think that the only option for me is to go back and use and drink. Can you relate to that? My God, I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. And I probably couldn't have been interviewed by anybody better because um, it is true. I mean, now, mind you, I've only been sober since September 2nd, Mm -hmm. um, which ultimately in the whole world of AA, it's, you know, Time doesn't mean shit, but mean it does mean a, a, some people look at it as their success, sure. as how long you've been sober. Sure. Um, but, you know, I went through the 12 steps in about nine days. I have a man sponsor. Um, I have done things that technically people wouldn't agree with, um, but it has completely changed my whole perspective on life as I know it today. It's insane. I mean, I cannot, the fact that I can go 24 hours and not think about getting high, it's nothing short than a miracle. Miracle. Honest to God. I mean, my obsession to use has been gone. I never, ever thought that that would happen to me. And the only reason that that happened is because I worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So you're telling me, so you you, you, you came from a place, Tracy, where you were constantly under uh, uh, the grip of uh, heroin and wanted to die, wanted to die, and literally couldn't go five minutes without getting high again. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me, because of 12 steps, that you no longer have the desire or the obsession to use or to drink. Not only do I not have that obsession, but I actually care about what happens to people. Like, what? What? <laughs> I know, it's weird, huh? No, it's fucking crazy. Is because <laughs> that's all I cared about was um, myself. It was Tracy. It was Tracy, Tracy, mm-hmm. Tracy, 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 Tracy. I, I, I can't tell you how much I, 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 I relate to that. And really early on, Tracy... Uh, my sponsor asked me what was going to be different after I worked step three, right? He's like, what's, how is your life going to be different now that you've turned your will and your life out of the care of God as you understand God? Uh, and it became very clear to me based on what I had learned in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that God's will for me and the God of my understanding was to be of maximum service to God and to the people around me, Period. Period. I started doing that very early, and it became a means of 
first of all, it was a relief from the shit show that was my life at the time mm-hmm. and the pain and the grief and all the things that I was experiencing and didn't have drugs or alcohol to medicate it anymore. So it became an immediate relief, sort of like meetings were, but it also was such a blessing not to think about myself anymore and not have to constantly be thinking about me and how I feel and this and that and the other thing, spending 36 years of my life only thinking about me, really? Or if I thought about you, it was only about how you affected me, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But I didn't know that at the time until I did four and five. I had no idea how selfish I was until I did four and five. No idea. No idea. Um, It it was really um, eye-opening. Can you relate to that piece of it, that self-centeredness, but you really maybe didn't even know how self-centered you were? When I went through... When I got to the second step, you know, if one, two, and three, I went, I mean, Kurt took me through that in like five minutes because mm-hmm. I knew I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Right. I knew that there was a power greater than myself because my 18-year-old son is the most remarkable kid you've ever met, and there's no fucking way <laughs> that it's because of me. There had to have been somebody okay. taking care of him, right? Yeah. Okay, so two I could do. Three, I was like, hmm... Yes, I could. I want to have God control my my life and my will, but I didn't know what that meant. Well, and, what do I do now? Yeah, right. right. And once I actually, and I didn't even, I tried to overanalyze it for so many years, and I and I just thought, okay, let me just, yes, I yes, I'm ready to have Him, you know, control these things. Let me just keep moving forward with these steps and see what happens. And so once I got to four and five, it was like, okay, I realized that God, God's will, I didn't know what God's will was because I was so consumed with all of this shit in my head of resentment and anger and fear and ego and, and selfishness and all these things. There was no room for right. any, you know, when people say just do the right thing, I'm like, right. I don't know what the fuck the, the right, next thing, right is. thing is. Yeah, you right. Know, right. What does that mean? <laughs> well, once I figured out all of these character defects about myself and got rid of those, then, then God was entering Bingo. into my head that all of these um, right choices. And once my thinking changed, then my action changed. And so for God's, you know, God's will and God and. I mean, it's just insane. It's 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 all about action, and it's all about thinking, and then action. So once I did that, the fourth and fifth, then I realized about more about step three. You're probably smarter than I am. For me, um, probably you are smarter than I am. Because no, I, I doubt to, that. Because <laughs> no. Tracy, I have to do. I'm Polish. So. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I have. Uh, um, I have to do, and then my brain sort of like comes along, like. You know, um, I, I have a hard time thinking my way into right living. I have to act my way into it. And like sure. my brain I can see that. like yep. rewires itself mm-hmm. sort of, you know, like right. I don't get it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I look back six months from now and be like, that makes sense. I get that. Yeah. And now I have this sort of proof that, yeah, that the God of my understanding has worked in my life mm-hmm. right and so a lot of my understanding comes as uh, you know a retroactive look back sure yeah i completely i completely see that um yeah and so as i moved on you know when i i want to just quickly talk about my fifth step because that was the life changer for me that's um, when the change happens the change happened. that's when you know i have a a a, a, a blessed friend uh, says if you don't change your sobriety date will and wow, that's powerful and it's true it is true and this is where the change happens so tell me <clears throat> i've done a few fifth steps in my time okay i have been had i've had sponsors where i have done the fourth and fifth step and that's where you just list all the bad things that you're guilty of right <laughs> nice try not even close oh, okay <clears throat> um but i didn't realize um when I did my previous fifth steps, the the part where you have to figure out where your part is, mm-hmm. that's like the reason you do a fifth that's step, like right? That's like the money. That's like the money yeah. shot. Yeah, right. That was never really pointed out to me very clearly. Okay, where this time I actually had another man um, who is my one of my angels do my fifth step. My sponsor did not. Um, we we sat for eight hours and. Um, he pointed out my fifth, or pointed out my my part, in such. I want to say aggressive because it was. It was aggressive. It was cruel. It was 
Um, it was hard. It was really, really tough for me to listen to because I didn't realize the tornado that I was ripping through people's lives. I was a victim. I blamed everyone for my problems. Uh, you know, I was just dealt a bad hand. I can't believe that my husband left me and divorced me and how my mom is such a fucking bitch and she's never, she abandoned me when mm -hmm. I was 17. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things mm -hmm. I had, that's truly what I believe. Right. But this person sat with me and would not allow me to take anybody else's inventory. It was all about mine. And when I finally realized the hurt and the pain that I caused these people, especially my children, it was like I never wanted to ever hurt anybody ever again. I mean, I went to 39 years of hurting people. And I was like, please, God, all I want to do is right my wrongs. You know, and I never, I never felt that way. I never had empathy like that. I never felt that much compassion toward others. And I didn't realize what a fucking asshole I was. I really didn't. Right. Right. And so once that was made very clear to me, to the point where he literally had his finger in my face telling me that I was killing my children, uh -huh. um, I, 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 you want to talk about surrender. It was like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. Now we're ready. Now we're now. When we do a, a thorough four and five, by virtue of that process, we come pretty damn ready to get rid of that shit, right? Right. And because it's staring you right in the face, right? The full reality of how we operate and how I operated in relationships and in life, and how selfish. I was and so how self-centered self yes. I was and how that impacted other people and how I harmed other people as a course of it. And I, I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't even conscious of it. It's just that I, I, I just had to get everything I could out of you. What could you do for me? Yes. How can you make me feel better about me? And as soon as you're not doing that, as soon as you're not you know, somehow, you know, contributing to my self-esteem or my ego or my security. Then go fuck See yourself. Right. right. Yeah. See ya. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, it wasn't like I, people didn't make it known to me that I was a fucking bitch. Right. You I, know, just, I mean, people are <laughs> mad at me all the time, you know? I know. I know. People, I had this, uh, you're an asshole, Charlie. Charlie's an asshole. I'm like, I don't get it. Why do they think I'm an right. asshole? I don't think I'm an asshole. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just sick. And We're the last ones to really figure it out. Like, you know, we come and say, you know, we make these amends and stuff. And, you know, um, you know, it's not earth shatteringly, you know, like you're not breaking any news when you. you <laughs> right. <know>. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, talking about, you know, and I think I well, and I never made it to uh, the nine step. And and that was to me was when I found um, my connection with God was when I got to the ninth step and I started making amends mm -hmm. because I thought amends were, I'm sorry. Right. 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 And really you know? I'm sorry for me just makes me feel better about what I did to you. Right. Boom. Boom. Yep. So I'm sorry is for me. Yeah. An amend is for you. Exactly. And an amend is literally asking, you know, what can I do to right my wrong? Yeah. I am willing to do whatever the fuck you need me to do so your heart can be mended a little bit. And I'm willing to take that vulnerability risk. Right. Because I don't know what you're going to say when I make that amend and I say whatever, if there's anything that I could do to make it right, you let me know. And then that's an open invitation, right? right. Like you get to just have that. Right. Yes. And I've had everything from, um, you know, like my ex-husband, he was first on my list that I wanted to make amends to because I blamed him for everything, mm -hmm. taking my kids away, mm -hmm. fucking, you know, I mean, yep. he was, yep. I, I hated him. Yep. Public enemy number one. Yes. Yeah. And um, he's sober five, year, five years. I, I'm, I have a lot of respect for him and I wanted to, I wanted to sit his ass down and tell him what a fucking piece of shit I was and... Because I think, you know, for so long he's been telling me these things and I just wasn't ready to listen. But right. I think what, and you know, so my point of telling you this is that when I called him to ask him if he'd be willing to listen to my amends, he pretty much said, go fuck yourself. And it was, it, it almost broke me down to the point where like, see, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the first amend I try to make, I get shot, mm -hmm. get shot down. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And my sponsor was like, we're going to hang up the phone right now and you're going to go to the second person on that amends Bingo. list and you're going to do it. And yep. I'm like, no, 
poor Tracy, right? Yeah, you know, right, and right. My, and my second amend was my son, my eighteen year old, and it ended up being um, a beautiful experience. And I thought, okay, I can do this. And so I kept going down my list, down my mm-hmm. list, down my list. And I, I've gotten responses all over the board, you know, like, you didn't harm me. I don't right, know what you're like talking I, about. Right. To, <laughs> to, yes, I, you know, you, I mean, three-hour amends about what, what I've sure. done to these people. Sure. And, um, sure. Sometimes I think people think more of me than they really do. Right. right? So right. some of these amends, you know, I think it's this big thing. And the, you know, they really don't think about you that much, Chuckles. <laughs> right. You know? You're not like, that important in their life. You know, so, yeah, uh, fa- that's, that's a really thing, good right? point. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm all I think about. That's right. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not much, <laughs> but I'm all. I, yeah, yeah right. that's it. Right. Um, so, but it was the ninth step was when you know in the book they they talk about the promises you know, um, and those promises actually started coming true and uh, you know, Charlie. The miracles that have happened in the last five and a half months have been so profound that they're undeniable to where um, I never thought it was possible to to feel, not even to feel, but to, to be able to be helpful to somebody and not hurtful. And to people actually trust what I say right. and ask, for, ask me for help. Right. Like, no one's ever Are asked me for that? help. Right. Um, and that... I actually have a purpose. I. This is the type of shit I like to do because I'm not an introvert. You know, I like to fucking talk and yeah. I like to yeah. do those things. And, and I think that's part of the gift that God gave me was that if I was a, able to allow him in my soul, that he would um, provide me the gift of um, being able to tell my story, not to die for my story you know yeah it's a beautiful story it's a and it's a powerful story and i think that uh when we recover and we have that spiritual experience that i've been able to have yes and you've been able to have that spiritual experience that for you it it was a personality change that's sufficient enough to right, and that that that's a, that's a real thing that happens, right? It is, and it's yeah. a, but it's a byproduct, right? Like I didn't solve my alcohol problem; it got removed. Right. It's just not there anymore. I didn't fix it. I didn't try real hard to make it go away. No. I worked a series of steps to the best of my ability, and that problem was removed. It's it gone. was removed. And like you said, I never thought that I would be free of the obsession to drink and to use. I never. I always thought that when people said it, I'm like, <laughs> you're lying. Right. That's not real life. That doesn't happen. You're full of shit. Full of shit. Full of shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's true. It's, it's 100% true. true. And I still am amazed by it because I was convinced for so long that that couldn't happen i couldn't do that that couldn't happen to me and Mm -hmm. even if it is true for you it ain't true for me right right but it is because all i have to do is do what you did to the best of my ability right so what would you say to somebody that was in your position just six short months ago right uh what would you say to them if they're in the depths of their disease and uh they don't see a way out and this podcast is called the way out podcast because i it's an homage to the big book for one, because they were going to call the big book the way out, but there was already a book called that. So oh, I didn't it. know that. That's right. Thank yeah. you for that knowledge. Absolutely. Okay. So they had to call it, they just called it Alcoholics Anonymous, but there is a way out. There is a way out. You found the way out, Tracy, out of uh, the depths of your disease where it couldn't have been darker. It couldn't have been much worse. What would you say to somebody? Um, I don't, it, it's hard. I, if, if I could just say, if they can just trust something power, more powerful than them, get all the shit out that they have been shoving down for so long. Try and make right the things you've done 
and then help somebody else that you can be completely free. And I know that sounds so simple, but that's what worked. It worked, and I, I, I truly believe that helping somebody do that very quickly, instead of going a year of, you know... Totally agree. Like doing totally a step agree. a month or yeah. whatever the fuck, yeah. it's insane to me. Totally agree. It's not the way the program, in my mind anyway, and again, <laughs> people can do what they want, and I'm not a... I'm no, not, no, 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 you no, know, no. I'm not a bleeding deacon, but I will tell you, the 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 speedier you can get through those steps, yes. so long as you're working to the them to the best of your given ability, the quicker. better off you're gonna be. You and this idea that sponsors need to control the pace. If anything, they need to hurry it up. Exactly, and, and that's know, what was done to me. You know, was... and that's my role as a sponsor: push, 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 push. Right? I will never tell you that you're not. You know, uh, very rarely do I think, unless I really feel. But this idea that you need to spend, you know, three months on step three or four. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Right? No wonder people relapse. Exactly. You know? yeah. Get through it to the best of your ability, your right. given ability, and you'll get better. Literally, my, my sponsor's been sober for 34 years. I thought um, he goes to the firing line, too, and, and I hated him. I thought he was an asshole. I thought he, um, I just thought he was an angry, mean old man. And this this man has never once given up on me. Um, but he took me through the book, and he took me really quickly. And I am grateful to this day. He never, ever lets me say thank you to him. I always say, thank you, thank you, Kurt. And he'll go, no, thank you. No, thank you. It drives me fucking crazy. But he is a messenger. He is my messenger from God. Yeah. And he um, has completely pushed me to the point where his foot has been up my ass for a long time and loves me enough um, on a daily basis. That's amazing. I want you in the Way Out podcast audience to know if you want to reach out to Tracy you can email the show share at wayoutcast.com and I will get the message to Tracy and um, such a beautiful powerful amazing story of how Tracy recovered from alcoholism from addiction and it is a place today six months later where she is a completely changed person one day at a time and has a beautiful message and I know it's going to help people Tracy I really do and I, I, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us on the way out podcast um, you're just a just a, an amazingly beautiful soul and I could not be more grateful thank you thank, thank you, you. No, thank, thank you. you I just want to be able to help as many people as I can so thanks for having me you bet Thank you for being a part of The Way Out, where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety day will.